Lords of Limited is proud to be brought to you in part by StarCityGames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit StarCityGames.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, I have a deep, dark confession to make. Oh, no. What is it? I have not played Magic all week. I've not done one draft. Am I still allowed on the podcast? Are you feeling all right? I, I've been I've been suffering. You know, the first three to four days were a little rough. I got the shakes. And then once <laughs> I made it into, into day five, day six, things started to even out a little bit, you know, and I, I, I got over the worst of it. But it is it has been rough. Are you going to get back on the off the wagon on the wagon? I don't know which one is like indulging in the addiction. Yeah, we'll, we'll be back soon. Uh, the band had semi-state competition this week. We placed third in the state, which is awesome. Uh, and we're headed to the state finals. So I got one more week of insanity with marching band and then back to streaming and drafting as normal, hopefully. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. How have things been going for you? Things have been going pretty well. Um, I have been drafting probably enough for the both of us. Um, I streamed quite a bit this week and this format is tough, man. I, I think I, I tweeted out some sometime midweek that I felt like that I've just been having some of the most interesting, difficult drafts this week of like weird signals, trying to navigate like where I'm supposed to be and then also figuring out when to pivot into a, a multicolor good stuff deck. And the games have been really, really interesting, like lots of grindy decisions, lots of really tough sideboard decisions. And I just feel like anyone who thinks that anything about this format is straightforward is lying to themselves or just like not digging deep enough. I've been really finding some rewarding, difficult, interesting games both on and off stream. Yeah. So what's been going on? Play it on me. The signaling for drafts have been really tough. And uh, one of the drafts that I had, and then I think another draft that a uh, friend of the stream and our, our GP teammate, Stunlock FTW, uh, Matt, was like, you got to pay attention to the wheel in pack one. He's like, I've been really getting rewarded by paying close attention to what's wheeling there. I had this weird draft early in the week where like devious cover up went 12th in pack one. And I was like, I think this means Demir is open. And then everyone in chat was like, that can't be what that means. <laughs> and then I like just didn't commit to it in pack two and just like passed like 12 watcher in the mists. Yikes. And I was like, I think that's what that means. I think there's like weird late things where you see like, yeah, devious cover up isn't a high pick, but if it goes 12th, that means a lot of people at the table have said no to a card that is, I think, pretty widely considered to be a substantial part of the control decks of the format. And so I think n noticing those things like, yeah, and maybe not high picks, but when those those cards that you're like, wait, I would play this in my deck are going like ninth, 10th, 11th. I think that's really important. And I've been doing some versions of drafts where I like have six picks in a guild and scrap those for like two picks in a different guild because I think that that's what's going to be open. And that's what I'm seeing on the wheel. And I've been rewarded pretty handsomely for that. Nice. So I think there, there, there's a lot of like navigating even past those like first eight picks of a draft is what I've found. Yeah. If I'm ever feeling super competitive, I haven't done it in this format yet, but if I'm ever feeling crazy competitive, a lot of times I'll take a screenshot of pack one and then when the wheel comes around, I'll just compare and see what's left. Yeah, I mean, that's probably just a good habit to do on Magic Online unless you're like trying to prep for paper magic. But I don't know why you would ever do that. Who does that? Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, so I guess if we check in on the trophy leaderboard, are we you're, you're just exactly where you were last week? I'm exactly where I was. 31 drafts, 11 trophies, 67 to 25 and still 73 percent. How about you? Uh, 97 drafts. 
20 trophies. I just got a trophy uh, before we started recording. That seems to be a two weeks in a row running trend there. Uh, 188 to 165% win rate. So I've dipped a little bit. I've been not trophying a lot. I'm down to like just under 20% like of my drafts being trophies a lot of two ones i like lost in game three of the finals three times in a row yesterday blah those are the worst (laughs) i knew you would feel very uh sympathetic to that but uh yeah i've just been having a lot of tough matches or like decks where i feel like are nutty and then i lose in match a, a tough match one and then easily win match two and three that sort of thing but do feel like i'm, I'm getting a, a better handle on these strange like you know now we're now things are sort of settling people are getting a good handle on the format and i think things are, are shifting now to where we may you know we, we haven't done that in a while but we may eventually have a state of the format address episode again i think things are, are shifting enough that that may be the case well even a week ago it felt like it was a lot harder to just find your way into a guild that was open yeah yeah for sure um so we're we're going to round out our three-part series here of how to draft Guilds of Ravnica, finishing out with Selesnya and the Gate deck, the three to five color deck that we've been really, really enjoying. But before we get into any of that, got to talk about the Patreon. Each and every week, we got to talk about it. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, the place to go to give back to the show if you so choose. And you can get some pretty sweet rewards. And only for a dollar an episode... You can get access to the Lords of Limited Discord, and that is the place to be to talk about all things limited. Draft picks, draft logs, final builds, show off those sweet trophy lists. I'm still loving the trophy hype discussion. Like, that is actually still very, very helpful to see the different iterations of Boros, to see the greedy five-color decks that people are building and having success with. Um, That's all found in the Lords of Limited Discord. We have some perks for some higher tier donations as well, and... Everyone who joins each and every week, we want to make sure we shout you out on the show. So this week we have some folks to welcome. We'd like to welcome Sarah, Jose, Mr. Zamir, Jake, Subin, Daniel, Ben, Matthew, Shane, Jacko, Antonio, and Scott. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. You are crushing the pronunciations. I would be fumbling all over this every week. It's so good that you do that. Thank you, (laughs) thank you, thank you, patrons. All right, Ben. Uh, Well, since you didn't draft this week, would you like to live vicariously through one of my drafts and have a seat at the roundtable? I would love to. I've also been living vicariously through Twitch and Discord. Yes, of course. Um, So we're going to do things a little differently here. I want to, as I talked about a few minutes ago about how I feel like midway and towards the end of the pack is where the meat of some decisions can be made. We're going to fast forward a little bit through this draft and uh, go to pick three. So pick one and pick two. I took find finality, pretty straightforward rare there. That's the split card. Find is a sorcery for uh, Golgari, Golgari hybrid to return up to two target creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. And finality is four black green for a sorcery that says you may put two plus one plus one counters on up to one target creature. And then all creatures get minus four, minus four until end of turn. It's a pretty bomb rare. One of the best cards in the format overall. And then I followed that up with a dead weight, pack one, pick two, single black for an aura, enchanted creature gets minus two, minus two. So with those two cards under your belt, Ben, you see the following cards, pick three. You got a siege worm, five green, green for the five, five with convoke and trample, goblin electromancer, blue and a red for the two, two instant and sorcery spells you cast cost one less to cast. 
The only black card in the pack is Undercity Necrolisk. Three and a black for a 3-3 zombie lizard. Pay a single mana, sacrifice another creature, put a plus and plus one counter on Undercity Necrolisk. It gains menace until end of turn, but you can activate this only anytime you could cast a sorcery. Then I gotta have a little story time here. Pause about Undercity Necrolisk. Lay it on me. So I had a deck this week that I thought was like super, super strong, and then it O2'd, and I was like, this can't be right. I gotta play the last round. Like, this, this is not an O2 deck. And in the last round... I faced a Rakdos deck. Oh, it had Undercity Necrolisks and Spinal Centipedes. And my opponent was kind of a monster in that, like, regardless of what was happening on board, they were just like, I'm sacrificing my Spinal Centipedes to my Necrolisks. I'm getting my two plus one plus one counters, like just like loving two for one themselves. It did not work out very well for them. But I was I was pretty impressed to see an off guild deck. That was the first Rakdos sighting I had seen. Nice. All right. uh, Rest of this pack. Only really one other card I think worth mentioning, which is Legion Guild Mage, which is red-white for the 2-2. Two activated abilities, five and a red tap, deal three damage to each opponent, two and a white tap, tap another target creature. Yeah, this is a rough pack. I don't think Goblin Electromancer is quite good enough to move me off of Fine Finality and Deadweight here, third pick. Um, but that being said, Siege Worm and Undercity ne- Necrolisk are not what I'm looking to do in my Golgari decks at all. And you would think Undercity Necrolisk would slide in, but it's just kind of filler it's not it's something you need to prioritize i don't think i think rhizome lurcher is really what you want in the four drop slot yeah and so that leads me to legion guild mage as just the single best card in the pack and since there aren't good options to follow up my fine finality and my deadweight with an on color card or even an on on guild card in golgari or demir i think i'm just gonna land with legion guild mage and see what comes yeah i did grab the guild mage as well sad because I would hate to like start with fine finality and have to move into Boros. But if that's what I have to do, if that's what the draft tells me to do, then I'll do it. All right, pack one, pick four. You see the following cards in contention. There's a Veiled Shade, two and a black for the 2-2, with uh, a Shade ability, one and a black, gets plus one plus one until end of turn. There's Crawl Foragers, four and a green for the 4-4 with Undergrowth. When it ETBs, you gain one life for each creature in your graveyard. Hypothesizal, three blue-red for the instant. Draw two cards, then you may discard a non-land card. When you do, it deals four damage to target creature there's a fresh-faced recruit which is one in the boros hybrid for a 2-1 and it has first strike as long as it's your turn and that would probably be your follow-up to the legion guild mage and then there's a thought erasure which is blue black for the sorcery target opponent reveals their hand you choose an online card from it that player discards that card and it has surveil one okay i've got a i've got a new trademark coming in can we call veiled shades ability shade breathing shade breathing sure <laughs> is that is that too much of a stretch well, let's do it shade breathing it's terrible right i'm embarrassed already. that's fine well we'll keep it for now we're, we're workshopping and we'll, we'll come up with something better if it comes to us all right so veiled shade i think is out uh, it's just not good enough i think crawl forager similarly is out just not good enough so although they're golgari cards to go along with fine finality i don't think they cut it Hypothesizal is starting to interest me uh pack one pick four but again like i don't have any is it cards yet so i don't know that that really makes me want to move into is it pick four just yet fresh faced recruit is a nice follow-up to legion guild mage but again, like sort of fillerish, like not a premium, premium two drop in the Boros deck, but a good one. And then Thought Erasure is very good in Demir. Uh, matches up with my Fine Finality and my Deadweight, which are by far the strongest cards in my pile. So I think I'm going to land on Thought Erasure here and see what's going on with Demir. Yeah, that's where I landed as well. I was my, my thought process was, you know, if this were pack one, pick one, Hypothesis is probably the best card in the pack. But Thought Erasure lets me live the dream of still maybe 
maybe I can be Demir and then splash like a Golgari Guildgate or two to be able to maybe cast Finality, and that lets me still play Deadweight, and so then I'm still like being able to play most of the powerful cards that I already have. That was my thinking. And I think Thought Erasure, as you said, is quite strong in Demir. So, so far we're four for four, you and I. Pack one, pick five. Going back to a weak pack here, there's a Vigor Spore Worm, five and a green for the 6-4 with Undergrowth. It ETBs, gives a creature plus X, plus X, and Vigilance until end of turn, where X is your Undergrowth, and Vigor Spore Worm can't be blocked by more than one creature. It's a pretty sweet Wombo combo with our pet card of the episode that we'll get to a bit later. There's a Blade Instructor, two and a white for the 3-1 with Mentor, and there's an Invert Invent, which might be worth mentioning here, but I don't know. We're, we're, we're pretty solidly either on like Golgari plan, maybe Demir plan, maybe Boros plan. Like anything else here that I should be mentioning? I'm kind of eyeing Crushing Canopy. That's two and a green for the instant. Destroy target creature with flying or destroy target enchantment. It's pretty early to be picking a card like Crushing Canopy, but I think it's worth considering. Are you main decking Crushing Canopy? I thought I would be at the start of this format. And I just haven't found room for it. I haven't been in Golgari, mostly because you just need such a high creature count and then ostensibly you have better black removal like Deadweight right. or deadly visit selesnia i've only played once but i could see main decking crushing canopy in selesnia every time you theory craft about <laughs> about selesnia you're like well i don't have any experience with it but i imagine you might play a card like this <laughs> yeah that's all my arguing with you about selesnia is all theory crafting <laughs> yeah i can't wait to have more of that later this episode <laughs> So I, I don't know. Yeah, this is a rough pack. I, I would be tempted by Bigger Spore Worm. I would be tempted by Blade Instructor. I don't know what I would settle on here. I think probably left to my own devices, I would take a Vigor Spore Worm. Yeah, Vigor Spore Worm is good. It's just not something I think you need to prioritize. It's so weird because it might be the best green common, like after all is said and done, because of how well it fits into both green decks and how well it pairs with Glaive of the Guild Pact, which we'll be talking a lot about later. Uh, I just don't think you need to prioritize it because you're also not going to want to run like more than two, I think. Your six drop slot is highly contested tested i think and at the end of the day this may not be even one of the better options in that six drop slot for some green deck so i, I did take blade instructor here just sort of towing the line between a number of different decks here but you know if, if boros ends up being open then blade instructor plus legion guild mage is a fine place to be yeah i think blade instructor is the smart pick there because i think what you said about vigor spore worm is true where it's if green is where you're supposed to be you're going to get some bigger spore worms if you want them you don't need to pick them pack one pick five so i think Blade Instructor is the most responsible pick there. I just don't think I would have gotten there on my own without having seen that you'd selected Blade Instructor. All right, pack one, pick six. We're, we're still bobbing and weaving here. That's my favorite thing to do. Uh, there's a Sonic Assault in the pack. That's probably the best card. One blue red for the instant tap target creature. Sonic Assault deals two damage to that creature's controller, not to the creature, Ben, to the creature's controller. And it has Jumpstart. There's a Notion Rain, one blue-black for the sorcery, Surveil 2, then draw two cards. Notion Rain deals two damage to you. And I guess if we're looking at the best Boros card, it's probably just like either 10th District Guard or Sworn Companion, so a pair of 1-1 lifelink tokens or a random bear with a slight, slight upside of uh, when it enters the battlefield, target creature gets plus zero, plus one until end of turn. Yeah, this is another like fairly weak pack. If you were in it, you'd be thrilled to see Sonic Assault pack one pick six, but I'm not going to move into it right. for a pack one pick six Sonic Assault. Iron Shell Beetle would be mildly tempting if I had picked Vigor Spore Worm last pick, but I think just with the route that you're taking through the draft so far, I think I'd just be on Notion Rain here as the best card in the pack and, you know, being set up to play Demir after having pack one pick four thought erasure. Right. I think there's something to be said about the depth of, or what I feel to be the depth of playables in this format, which makes me feel less nervous about 
this kind of start of like, I've got a couple Demir cards. I've got a black card. I got a Golgari card. I've got a couple Boros cards. Like let's figure out what's open and then we can move in, which is going to move us towards the late half of this pack. Pack one, pick seven. Again, you know, we see a fairly medium pack, just a bunch of kind of filler cards. I was sort of feeling like maybe with that notion rain and the thought erasure that Demir might be where I was supposed to be. So I grabbed what I thought was a fine filler card in wish coin crab. That's three and a blue for the two five, certainly earlier than I like to grab it, but I wasn't sure what else to take. Do you have any, any other cards jumping out at you from this pack? None at all. There's a siege worm. There's an iron shell beetle. I think if I had, I think if I were drafting on my own, I'd have gone vigor spore worm into iron shell beetle into like another iron shell beetle or a siege worm here. But I think with the route you've taken, I think wish coin crab is certainly the pick. Yeah. And then pack one pick eight. Well, you'd be pretty happy on your your green route because i did end up taking a green card here but again we see just a bunch of filler to bad cards no demir cards in sight no blue or black cards some green cards devkar and dissident one in the green for the two two that has four in a green gets plus two plus two until end of turn portcullis fine the oh three wall for a single green that you can sack a creature with defender to draw a card by paying two mana and tapping it that's what I grabbed here, but I was pretty upset about it and really had no idea what I was supposed to be doing. Yeah, I'm a little surprised since you had like a little Boros exit strategy a little bit with the the Legion Guild Mage and the Blade Instructor that you didn't consider Skyline Scout, the one in the white for the 2-1 that can get flying if you pay one in a white. I think looking back, that's absolutely what I should have taken. I, I think this must have been a, a bit of a panic pick, but I think taking Skyline Scout was absolutely right. Let's me continue to toe the line between like a Sultai deck or a Boros deck. And then pack one, pick nine. This is uh, the, the pack that we did not talk about initially, where we just grabbed fine finality out of. We see some pretty impressive wheels here. Blade Instructor coming around pick nine, as well as Demotion, a card that we talked about last week and had a, a bit of a disagreement about in your Boros explanation. That's a single white for an aura. Enchanted creature can't block and its activated abilities can't be activated. There's also a Boros Guildgate and a Vigor Spore Worm in the pack. Yeah, and I think worth noting for the, the listeners that Blade Instructor and Demotion were the only white cards in this pack. Yes. To start with. Yeah, I think that's very important to note. Yeah, so both white cards wield. I think I would not have navigated this draft ultimately the same as you. I think I'd have probably ended up in Selesnya or Golgari, but I think with what you've done, I think you'd jam Blade Instructor here, and I think you're happy to try to draft Boros. Yeah, I grabbed Blade Instructor here as well. I mean, I do really like Demotion. I think it's a very strong card in the deck, but I think passing up on anything that says Mentor that's like CMC3 or less is kind of a mistake until you have enough Mentor things. Um, And I also just like, I I was feeling a little nervous even for myself going into pick nine here. But, you know, I ended up getting a Cosmotronic Wave pick 11, a Barging Sergeant pick 12, which you and I both identified as like what we want to be doing in the five drop slot in a Boros deck. That's the four four in a red, four two haste mentor. And then, you know, this draft didn't end up going smoothly at the start of pack two either. I grabbed Direct Current into Experimental Frenzy. Feeling great. Feeling great. And then nothing. Best card by a mile, status statue. So I grabbed that. Pack two, pick four. No Boros cards really to be spoken of here. And then there's a dead weight. So I was like, all right, well, maybe I can go back to to the Sultai land. And I see a capture sphere. But then check this out. Pack two, pick six. Another Legion Guild Mage. Pack two, pick seven. A Parhelion Patrol. And then pack two, pick eight. Justice Strike. That's that's Doom Blade, boys and girls. Red and white for the instant. Doom Blade. Target creature deals damage to itself equal to its power. And then wield a Blade Instructor, an Inspiring Unicorn, Rubble Belt Boar, Take Heart. And then I did end up reaping the rewards of Boros being open again in pack three. Has Justice Strike been as good as Doom Blade for you? You know, it has. Thank you. Yes. It's very good. 
I, I didn't I yes. didn't think it wasn't good. You were you were pretty judgmental about me calling it Doomblade. You probably could have just stopped after the word judgmental and that would describe me pretty, <laughs> pretty well. So yeah, you got the you got me uh hooked on the Boros bug after your little sermon last week, buddy. I trophy three of my four trophies this week were with Boros decks. I feel like every time you tuned into my stream during lunch, I was drafting Boros. <laughs> That was so true. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So true. Just feel like it, it was open, and I am uh, not mad to draft it if it's open for sure. All right, so we got to finish out the decks that we haven't talked about. Week one, we did Is It and Golgari. Week two, Demir and Boros, and now we get to talk about everyone's favorite deck, Selesnia. Right? That's everyone's favorite deck. Even more importantly, the actual favorite deck, which is the Gate deck. Yeah, the Gate deck. Really excited to talk about that. All right, let's get let's get this green white nonsense over with, and then we can talk about the good stuff deck. Let's do it. So what what are you looking for? Since I have not played Selesnia, lay it on me. What what's the what's the game plan for Selesnia? So excited to have you disagree with me about things with your theory. <laughs> and you just crafting. be like, boom! How many drafts have you? How done? How many drafts like, have you done? One. <laughs> okay, so so I should preface this by saying this is not a deck I am looking to actively draft at all i've done 97 drafts i have been green white eight times i have never done worse than 2-1 when i have drafted green white because i'm only drafting it when it's like super open i think it is only viable if you can be sure you're the only green white drafter at the table so knowing what cards are signals is crucial to moving in on this deck and this is by and large an aggro deck leaning on the ways that Convoke gets you ahead of the curve, but it often has ways to grind in the mid-game with cards like Glaive of the Guild Pact. I should also say that there is a version of this deck that is much more aggressive than what I'm about to outline that really relies on Healer's Hawk and Iron Shell Beetle. That's the version of the deck that I really like. That's the version of the deck you like? In in theory, you mean? <laughs> That's right. Uh, I have not had the privilege of playing with this deck yet, but I have played against it and I have been told about it by people whose opinion I respect. Uh, I think it can get there certainly, but I have a hard time finding my way into it because it's so based around a few commons, one of which is such a high pick in another archetype, Healer's Hawk. So I feel like if I'm going to be getting into Celestia, it's going to be for some rares and some uncommons. And it's hard for me to imagine like navigating a draft where green white is what I feel like I'm supposed to do. And that the meat of that deck is based around these sort of like cheap, aggressive commons. Do you respect my theory crafted opinion that healers hawk and iron shell beetle are great in Selesnia? I do. I do respect that opinion. <laughs> I'm just going to be comedic relief during this segment. It's good. It's good. <laughs> this is a good look for you. Speaking of those rares and uncommons that pull me into this deck specifically, excluding cards that could also go into red, white, or black, green. So I, I feel like I'm kind of stretching here for some of these. So so some some maybe rares I have are Camaraderie and Assure Assemble. Those are both, I think, strong cards, but it's hard for me to imagine seeing like Assure Assemble and Camaraderie pack one, pick one with like Deadweight or Direct Current in the pack and not want to just take one of those premium common removal spells, you know? Yeah, I think that's probably true for me as well. I think Assure Assemble is closer to wanting to pick over those than Camaraderie is. Yeah. I think that would be a pretty hard decision. The flexibility of Assure Assemble is really strong. Assure is just a great combat trick. And Assemble does a lot of what Selesnia wants to do by adding like six power and six deftus on the board in three different bodies if you have any sort of mass pump effects, that sort of thing. Uh, Light of the Legion actually put on this list after our discussion last week where I sort of decided that it wasn't really a Boros card, um, though I did have it in a Boros deck that trophied this past week. Um, it's just not quite what you want to do there, but I do think it's a really strong card for Selesnia. Um, March of the Multitudes is a card that I have had the privilege of playing with once, and it 
is fantastic. It's a really, really great curve topper for Selesnya. You know, if you think about an aggro deck that like has trouble getting through those last like six or eight points of damage, if the board starts to stall or you feel like you start to fall behind, March of the Multitudes really can get you out of there and you probably have a lot of beef on the board in that board stall. Tristani Discordant, this is probably one of the headliners for this deck, one of the the slam dunk rares, I think, for the deck. This is the uh, the one four that makes two one one life linkers and then is an anthem effect for all of your creatures. It's a really, really strong card. I can't confirm that's great. I had it in my one Selesnia deck. Nice. Oh, no theory crafting here. Uh, here's a card for you that I was not a believer in. And then Ryan Sachs was in my chat and he was like, you got to take this card for your deck. And then I played it in a uh, Boros deck and it was really good guild mages forum is that the land that puts plus one plus one counters on things yeah so it's like the shimmering grotto land so it like can filter for any color but if you cast a creature that is a multicolor card off of that filtered shimmering grotto effect then you, the creature comes into play with a plus one plus one counter on it this is especially good with those hybrid two drops vernati shieldmate and fresh-faced recruit but it's just really good in Selesnya, I think, in general. Selesnya and Boros probably, but Selesnya in general, because like you're getting to beef up Rosemane Centaurs to 5-5s, five or your Conclave Cavaliers into 5-5s, five or your Centaur Peacemakers, though you're probably not often playing those. Um, but just a lot of those creatures getting beefier than they already are is actually a pretty big game, and it's pretty strong with those two drops. So I think this is a card that you know is not going to lead me into Selesnya per se, but I'm going to pick this highly, and then I think this is one of the decks that it is better suited in that makes sense to me i gotta back you up though this is verdani shieldmate right v-e-r-d-a-n-i i may have only played selesnia once but i know that card's name verdani shieldmate oh i think you are wrong sir it's for am i really it's vernati oh is it really and i'm editing the podcast so this stays oh, in wreck brutal <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I also putting uh, Venerated Loxodon on here, though this is kind of cheating since it's just a fantastic card in any white deck. But again, I think with Convoke Matters stuff, I don't know, it might slot slightly better into Selesnia. This is the four and a white, four, four with Convoke, and then it puts a plus one, plus one counter on each creature that helped cast it. Super busted card, one of the best white cards in the set. So that moves us on to some uncommons. Uh, I really only have two here, Ledev Champion and Conclave Cavalier, both very strong. Cavalier, I think, much higher. That's the CCDD card for Selesnya. I think Cavalier is much higher than Ledev Champion. Ledev Champion, just for whatever reason, doesn't feel like it... it just, maybe it's just because the removal is so good, it gets picked off before you can start really like doing it but that's never the thing you even want to do on turn five you're not trying to make a one one lifelink on turn five this is like something you're trying to do on like turn eight or nine which again is not maybe what selesnia is trying to do right it's off plan for selesnia selesnia wants to beat down and this is like a slow value grind card yeah i think so this may also just secretly be a, a five color good stuff card i don't know and so did you see Benessa's tweet about what which card you would want more in Selesnia, Ledev Champion or Rosemane Centaur? Uh, I did see that tweet. Yeah. Where are you at on that? It's hard for me because I don't think I would take a Rosemane Centaur over like first Rosemane Centaur over first Ledev Champion if I knew I was green white. But maybe that's I would. Maybe that's just wrong. Maybe I'm just supposed to take Rosemane Centaur as he would in theory. Uh, I think that's just I think that's right. And I am just being stubborn because I really want Ledev Champion to be good. I, I voted Rosemane Centaur in the poll. Nice. Good for you. Um, I also thought it was worth putting some green cards on this list that I think are worth taking picks one through three because green has such like a target on its back as like the worst color in the format. And when would you ever move in on it? And I think there can only be a few green drafters at the table. So I put some cards here, some rares and uncommons that I've been happy first picking. So Affectionate Indrik is on that list. 
Beast Whisperer. That's the two green, green, two, three that has the text whenever you cast a creature spell, you draw a card. Bounty of Might. That's the like giant combat trick. The like three giant growths split up however you want. Nullhide Ferox, the four mana six, six hexproof. Pelt Collector has been really good, especially in Selesnia. I think this is actually kind of tough in Golgari to be good, since so many of your creatures actually have one power, like if you're going Ravenous Rats into like Generous Stray or something, it's like, right, right, this can't grow. But in Selesnia, it really gets big in a hurry. Uh, Vivid Revival, I've liked, um, though I think you do have that does require some work for your deck to make sure you have enough targets for it. And Hatchery Spider, I think is totally serviceable and gets passed to me a lot. You lost me with Hatchery Spider a little bit. That card, I think, is a steaming pile of Garbo. You think in theory it's a steaming pile of Garbo. And <laughs> no. you're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> I I just think I would rather have like a 5-5 five, five trample. I think I'd rather have Siege Worm. Yeah, all right. That's fair. We can take Atri Spider off the like streamlined aggro Selesnia plan. I think if you're in a more value-ish version of the deck... Because I do think straight green-white happens sometimes, but I also think that green-white, like, splashing some stuff, or if you've got a couple value engines, then I think that tends you towards a card like Hatchery Spider being good. All right. So when you're when you're rarely ending up in Selesnia, what are the things that push you over the edge? Like, how, how does the draft have to go for you to end up in Selesnia if you're not trying to steer yourself there? So I really need to know that it's open. Uh, I could get there and have it as my basis for a three to five color gate get deck, which we'll get to when when you talk about that awesome deck. But I have to get some of the rares and uncommons that I listed previously to feel confident that moving into this deck is worth it. There's nothing worse than feeling like white green is what you're supposed to draft and then not getting any of the payoffs for the deck. So I pay attention to the wheel of pack one, especially as that is where I've been getting a lot of signals for green being open. All right, sweet. Yeah, that makes sense. I The one time I drafted it, I had Tristani and a couple of the Conclave Cavaliers and my deck was busted. Yeah, I've had like one like pretty bad train wreck green white draft where I got like a couple of those good cards in pack one and then just nothing else was opened. And I didn't really know how to salvage the draft because I was like, well, I'll, just, I'll get a Conclave Cavalier. I'm clearly the only green white drafter. And then it just didn't happen. So speaking of some creatures that you might want in this deck, uh, I've got sort of a curve laid out here for you. And this is going to be for the deck that I am most familiar with. I'm not really talking about this, like whatever this theoretical Iron Shell Beetle <laughs> Healer's Hawk deck is. I just can't speak to personally and ben can but only in theory i think you play turn one healer's hawk turn two iron shell beetle and profit that sounds good i think that's the general game plan uh so in the one drop slot i've got healer's hawk all right you know it, it is fantastic if you do have any sort of pump if you do have some gates and uh glaive of the guild pact very very strong it can also help you you know chips in for some damage and then also ramps out some convoke creatures similarly portcullis fine i think is great as a way to ramp out some convoke creatures and then replace itself when you need some more action in the two drop slot i've got crawl harpooner sort of at the top then below, a bit below that sunholm stalwart and then probably a bit below that conclave guild mage again like this probably slots more into a late game or mid-range green white deck more than it does this sort of rosemane centaur beatdown deck uh, Sunholm Stalwart is good. That's the two and a white with Mentor and First Strike. And I think then any two drop with priority to 
Vigilance. So I think Bernani Shieldmate is good. I think Iron Shell Beetle is probably good here, especially if you've got some Hawks. And Devkar and Dissident, I like just fine. But again, it feels a little bit replaceable in this deck. Yeah, makes sense. What about the threes? Well, we move on to three and I've got Ledev Champion on top here and that's probably wrong. Rock Charger should probably be on top. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, I think Ledev Champion still a solid card in this deck. Uh, District Guide, depending on if you're splashing, if you care about gates, that sort of thing. And then, you know, Blade Instructor, Generous Stray, Wario Copies are all sort of replaceable cards and slot in like differently depending on what you feel like your deck is trying to do. And then moving on to the four drop slots, surprise to no one, Conclave Cavalier is at the top. And then below that, I think probably should be Rampaging Monument, depending on how many multicolored cards you have. This has really impressed me in both green, white, and blue, red. But Rampaging Monument can get pretty big in a hurry. Parhelion Patrol, you'll play just fine. And then Sumala Woodshaper, you might play. That's the two green, white, two, one that like looks at the top four cards and you can find a creature and enchantment. You know, it's it's not an aggro card, so you probably don't want it in your deck if you can help it. Yeah. And then we're moving up to to the real beef here. Rosemane Centaur, that's the premium card. That's the card you want to be convoking out. 4-4 Vigilance is really strong. Uh, Crawl Foragers is also a 4-4, but you really just want Rosemane Centaurs any and all the time. You know, all my green-white decks that I went back and looked through all had like two to three copies of Rosemane Centaurs. This is just the card that you really want, and it's really the payoff at common for figuring out that this deck is open. So I've got a question for you, because in theory, I feel like Rosemane Centaur is just like way better than Siege Worm. Yes. And I feel like that is true for my opponents as well. Like I'm more afraid of a Rosemane Centaur from them than I am Siege Worm. But that feels counterintuitive to what my intuition would have told me at the start of the format. Like I would have expected Siege Worm to be better in the deck than Rosemane Centaur. I agree completely. I think both Siege Worm and what's it called? The the four five flyer for eight with Convoke. Fly to the Equinauts. It's just too expensive. Yeah. I think if this mechanic were new to this format, we might not be so like brainwashed a little bit. But because we're used to Convoke in some ways, like we're used to Siege Worm being good. It's a reprint. I remember when it was good. But that's because there were good token makers. Right. We scattered the seeds. There was triplicate spirits. Right, right, right. We don't have that here. And I think but like just getting that one little turn sooner for Rosemane Centaur makes a big difference. But like a turn sooner of Siege Worm doesn't feel like a deal. Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, So in the six drop slot, I think probably Affectionate Indric is like the best thing you can do, depending on the number of the gates you have. Gatekeeper Gargoyle is quite strong. Bigger Spore Worm is a good curve topper. And I think you probably want all of those over a siege worm, which is weird to say. The siege worm versus vigorous spore worm, that that's a little hard for me to wrap my brain around. I guess it just depends on when you think you're getting siege worm out. Right. Like, I guess if you think you're getting it out on turn five, but if you're getting it out on turn five, then you're probably not attacking that turn. That's the other thing that is hard about siege worm is like, you know, for Rosemary Centaur to be good, it doesn't need to be that maybe your two drop is now blanked, but you still got in with your three drop and now you tap your two drop to help cast Rosemary Centaur. Right, right. To get Siege Worm out super early, you got to tap two creatures. You're taking a whole turn off of attacking. Yeah. I don't know. I, I was off Siege Worm after sealed. I, I had a sealed deck where I had Siege Worm in it. And I remember like turn five, like tapping my two creatures and casting Siege Worm. And my opponent cast Command the Storm and then attacked me for like six. And I was like, this is <laughs> stupid. I'm never casting Siege Worm again. <laughs> yeah. I think it's been really hard for me to come down on it because I was just like, well, we all agreed that Siege Worm was the best green common, right? We all agreed on that. And it's just like, no, there's enough stuff that you can get to cast that'll be like five or six mana that's big in a four, four or five, five. 
Um, you're not playing a ton of spells in this deck. I think Flower Flourish is one of the, the best, if we're looking at just uncommons and commons, I think Flower Flourish is one of the best cards you can have. It helps to replace a land. It helps to pump your entire team if you get to that point. I think that, that duality there is really strong. Uh, Take Heart and Might of the Masses as one mana combat tricks I think are also really, really strong here. Glaive of the Guild Pact as your two drop. I think a lot of my green-white decks had Glaives here. Really, really strong. Turns all of your creatures into threats. Luminous Bonds and Conclave Tribunal at three and four. These are your really only options for removal when you're green-white because Prey Upon is not a card that I want to be casting in my green-white decks. Fun fact, Prey Upon is my least drafted common. Whoa, that's crazy. I think Prey Upon's probably fine depending on like how many Conclave Cavaliers and Rosemane Centaurs you have. Like if you're just resigned to Prey Upon as one mana deal three damage, I think it starts to be okay. There's something tough there though because then you may not be able to attack with that creature. I think I just want to trick like 10 out of 10 times and that's situation yeah i think i would do in theory <laughs> this is great i'll stop uh there's a there's a fun drinking game you can play if you rewind 20 minutes and every time <laughs> oh my that God. is theoretically I'm sure everyone's so annoyed with it already <laughs> <laughs> um so we're gonna look at some guild underperformers here so those are like the cards i'm, I'm generally happy with uh guild underperformers and i think there are a lot a lot more than we've listed before uh centaur peacemaker top of the list here this is a fine sideboard card against aggro, but I think this is really a plant for the three to five color deck that we're going to talk about in a bit. Uh, Amara, Soul of the Accord. This is the rare green-white 2-2, and then when it gets tapped, you make a 1-1 token with lifelink. I think this card is totally fine, but feels much more like an uncommon than a rare. And because of that, I feel like it's overvalued by most people. Yeah, it doesn't make me want to play Celestia. No, it's like if I'm in Celestia, I'll take it probably over most things. It's like a C plus. Yes, it's not like a reason to go into the deck. Uh, Flight of Equinox we talked about before. I think this is a bummer to put on the list, but it's just too expensive. Same thing with World Soul Colossus. That's the X green white convoke that just comes into play with X plus and plus one counters on it. Another overcosted creature that is infinitely chumpable, and I am not happy to run this card, and I'm generally happy to see it on the opposing side of the battlefield. And speaking of overcosted, you know, at least one of the two hexproof creatures is in a total migraine in this format. Arboretum Elemental is overcosted. Have I mentioned that? There aren't really the auras in this set to back up hexproof on this medium expensive creature. Yeah, it's just not good. So what about your curve? You know, we've talked about it a little bit. I think you're trying to slant aggressively. Yeah, you're really looking for a good aggro curve, but you're not afraid of some top end as long as it has Convoke or is going to have a large impact on the game. So I'm looking for the bulk of my creature count to exist at the one to three range and then looking for a lot of beef from the four plus range with Cavaliers and Rosemane Centaurs. Uh, because a lot of your cards replace themselves with a land or a card, so like Portcullis Vine, Flower Flourish, District Guide, I'm often running 16 lands in these decks. Uh, you have access to a lot of fixing, which is same as when we talked about Golgari, right? You've got District Guide, you've got Urban Utopia, sometimes even Circuitous Route, and these decks are often splashing for something powerful. So this is where we're talking about like green, white, XX, like you can be splashing for powerful cards like Experimental Frenzy, or maybe like you just want some card draw with like Chemister's Insight. Like these are decks that aren't so streamlined with the, the good aggro curve where you've got to get some power from some card draw or maybe some splash removal, that sort of thing. Yeah, makes sense. So then looking at sideboard plans against control, you have some work to do, right? So you aren't as like classically aggressive as a Boros or an aggro is it deck. So you need to figure out what your plan is. Are you going to try and go under your opponent? 
and try and aggro them out? Or are you going to try and go toe-to-toe with them in the mid-game, depending on how controlling they are? So if you want to go under them, you need to side out any crazy expensive cards and go all in on your two-drop slot. This will help you get ahead early and also have use for your creatures when you choose to stop attacking with them and convoke out some spells. I wouldn't be afraid of a locket here when you think you want some extra cards against a control deck. Now, I think like if, if your opponent, I'm talking about probably more of a like Golgari deck for sure, and then maybe some like less straightforward is it control decks. But I think against Demir, you just have to try and aggro them out. Yeah. Uh, against other aggro decks, this is, I think, one of the nightmare matchups for aggro. Yes, it's awful. When you're playing Boros and your opponent goes Plains Forest, you just feel like you can never win. Yeah, you should have access to a lot of life gain main deck and in the sideboard. Uh, Centaur Healer or Centaur Peacemaker shines in this matchup, as does whatever Healer's Hawk you have. The amount of beef you're able to deploy onto the board is important in this matchup. Uh, I'd take out any Convoke creatures past Rosemane Centaur, and I'd again focus on your two-drop slot, like we were talking about when you wanted to go under control, as well as cheap interaction. So Take Heart, maybe Pax Favor, Might of the Masses. These can all be game-breaking cards. I would also look to bring in Crushing Canopy, as that has game against both Boros and Izzet Aggro. Yeah, where are you at on the top five Selesnia commons? Uh, top five Selesnia commons, I am on Luminous Bonds number one. Uh, Healer's Hawk, number two. Rose Main Centaur, number three. And I have like Portcullis Vine at number four, though that could be Iron Shell Beetle, maybe. And then at number five, I just, you should not be in this deck for the commons. <laughs> yeah, I, I just like, I, I couldn't come up with a fifth common for this deck. I think it's got to be Iron Shell Beetle, right? Like, don't you trust Dustin enough that like, if he says it's good, like that's good enough for me. Yeah, that I mean, I, I do trust Dustin quite a bit. I just because it feels like if it's Iron Shell Beetle, then Iron Shell Beetle is at number four and Portcullis Vine doesn't belong in there. And then what am I putting there? Like, right. The, sh- the shield mate. Vernati shield mate. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. But that's where I'm at. I think it's mostly an uncommon rare deck. I think it can be good. I think all the hate that green gets from a lot of people who have not drafted this format a ton is unwarranted. Both Golgari decks and Selesnia decks can be very, very strong, are totally capable of 3-0-ing. You just have to know when it's right to move in. Yeah, I just watched MJ in the finals of the PTQ this weekend on Magic Online. He just lost to a nuts Selesnia deck in the finals with his Grixis control deck. Yeah, that's a heartbreaker. All right, enough of this green-white shenanigans. Let's talk about that gate deck, baby. Let's do it. Oh, this deck is so sweet. So what you're looking for uh in the gate deck i think this is like a three to five color mid-range deck at its core with glaive of the guild pack that's the key card for the deck so that's the two mana equipment that's got an equip cost of three and the equipped creature gets plus x plus o and gains menace and vigilance equal to the number of gates you control and the key there is that vigilance like vigilance and menace i think are the keys because it allows you to be aggressive and still block well with the creature yeah so glaive is the key card for the gate deck i think that's number one what makes me want to move into it and then you're also trying to leverage chamber sentry and gatekeeper gargoyle so chamber sentry is the x mana zero zero and gains plus one plus one counters equal to the number of colors spent to cast it and then you can pay wooberg to bring it back to your hand after it's died and you can pay x and tap it to deal x damage to target creature by removing that many plus one plus one counters from it just a super versatile card and a huge threat if you have the ability with gates to get up to wooberg mana and then gatekeeper gargoyle is the six mana three three flyer that gets plus one plus one counters equal to the number of gates you control those are like the three huge payoffs but glaive far and away outshines chamber sentry and gatekeeper gargoyle i think and if you get this deck 
it really has the best late game out of any deck in the format, I think, because a powered up glaive just goes over the top of absolutely everything. It just your control opponents just can't do anything because they keep two for wanting themselves if they try to block and then they're having to spend premium removal on your generous stray or whatever you've got suited up with glaive. It just makes every creature in your deck a must answer threat. And as a result, like really the only decks you're worried about losing to, I think, are like Boros aggro and is it aggro? So you really have to have make sure you have a lot of early defense against them because you're running a high number of gates. So cards like Deadweight go up a ton in value and just ways to block early trade off. And if you can just get to the late game, you're going to win. I think this deck's often base green or base black because the Glaive of the Guild Pack demands such a high creature count. So it makes sense that like the Golgari colors tend to be the base colors for the deck. Um, it's almost never red uh, just because red's creatures and red spells just don't generally line up with what the deck's trying to do. Occasionally it'll splash red for removal or a bomb like Experimental Frenzy. Um, but you just really want a low curve and defensive speed uh, because you're going to be running you know anywhere from 5 to 8, 9, 10 tap lands. So I, I want to pause here and, and ask two questions or, or highlight two things that you said. First of all, Experimental Frenzy is a bomb, you say? Oh, <laughs> It is. I mistakenly, mistakenly was not on your team with this. Uh, I should have, should have trusted you. You were like, yeah, it's great. And I was like, eh, is it though? And it is great. Experimental Frenzy is great. I humble apologies point for you. Yeah. So just like a PSA to everyone. I, I talk about this on stream all the time because it gets past me. I did. I w- went through and looked at all of my red decks and I had Experimental Frenzy 10 times in 80 drafts. That is too many. That's not the amount of times I'm opening it i'm just being passed it a crazy number of times and i refuse to pass it anytime because if i'm red i'm gonna play it and if i'm not red i'm gonna try like hell to splash it so everyone if you haven't played with or against experimental frenzy please 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 take our words for it it's a bomb you should try and play it in like every deck yep one of the best cards in the set uh the second thing i want to talk about is i agree with all three of these payoffs that you have on here how do you feel about guild summit in these decks it's sort of whatever i mean i'll take it if i can get it but i'm not going out of my way it's not to me i don't see a guild summit and think yeah i'm gonna draft the gate deck i I already want to be in the gate deck and then like i will take guild summit it's like a c plus in the gate deck for me yeah i agree completely it's so interesting so back i feel like we've done it a couple times like an hour of devastation we had a how to draft five color control deck in ixlon we had a how to draft five, five color control episode and this is not the same as that this kind of multicolor deck does not feel the same as those kinds of decks. And I think it's because it's centered around Glaive for the most part. Right. So it's typically when you're playing five color control or four color control or whatever, the strategy is to take fixing and then take all the best cards you see and your deck is great. The reason that doesn't work in this format is because all of the best cards are like guild specific and are like very good in their guild, like Crackling Drake, for example, like the blue, blue, red, red card. Like that's a great card. But only in is it and only if you can cast it reliably or, you know, true fire mentor like white, white, red, red, like great in Boros, kind of whatever, like outside of Boros. But even not those like super restrictive cards, but like Sky Knight Legionnaire or Sonic Assault, like just these are like super solid role players in those decks or powerful creatures. Just those those aren't the kinds of cards that you want to be stretching your mana base for. Right. But Glaive of the Guild Pack absolutely 100% is. Right. It just really ties the deck together. So so how do you end up here a lot of the time? Yeah. So for me, the number one reason is getting past a Glaive of the Guild pack, especially if I already have some green cards in my pile. But like if I'm started a draft and I see a pick five Glaive, I'm in for trying to draft this deck at this point, I think. I think Glaive of the Guild pack is that good. I haven't gone that far yet. Like I've sort of backdoored my way into it. 
but I'm I'm becoming high enough on Glaive that I think if I saw pack one, if I saw pick four, pick five Glaive, I would just take it and draft this deck. I think it's that good. Can I confess that I first picked a Glaive this week? I wholeheartedly support that decision. I didn't end up actually getting to play that deck, but I felt like it was the mo- most powerful card. And it does feel like a headliner for this quote unquote sixth guild. And I think this deck is open if you get glaive like that's the only card you need and then you can make it work right yeah that does does feel that way to me it's like well i have this card i can like just cobble together the rest i think the second reason would be like starting my draft out with golgari or selesnia cards and feeling like i'm competing with another drafter for those guilds which is an absolute nightmare like i think you want to be the only selesnia or the only golgari drafter and this deck is like a super nice safety valve so if you're like in golgari and you're feeling like eh about it or just like in those two decks like you can sort of turn into a selesnia glaive deck or golgari glaive deck as well it doesn't necessarily have to be three to five colors yeah i've, I've often found yeah that reverse happen where like I'm in a good Kolgari or Slesnia deck. I've got Gates, I've got Glaive. And then I start to open some powerful things. I'm like, I'd like to play that. I'd like to play that. All right, well, I guess now I'm branching out into a three, four, five color deck. Well, and I think even if you're straight Kolgari, you're playing off-color Gates to be able to play Glaive or like half on-color Gates. It's that good. Yeah, things like the three cards you mentioned, Glaive, Chamber Sentry, and Gatekeeper Gargoyle all make me play off-color Gates. And when we say off-color, we mean like a Demir Guild Gate in a black-green deck. We don't mean a Boros Guild Gate in a black-green deck most of the time. Right. And I think for that matter, you can end up in this Gate deck if you even start Demir and get cut out of Demir as well, or even maybe is it Urboros? Like this really is like, oh, your draft is going terribly. Let me try to draft this deck. Like it's sort of a, a safety outlet if you go into a guild pretty hard and then you get cut out of that guild. My gut feeling is that you probably should not set out to draft this deck at the start of the draft. But again, like it's just a very, very good backup plan. And I think you should try to leave yourself out by picking gates when there aren't great options for you in your guild or guilds that you're considering. Like I've just been starting to take random gates a little higher than I had at the start of the format. And certainly on the wheel, if there's nothing, I'm just slamming a gate, even if it makes no sense for me. Yeah, I agree. So I feel like a few weeks ago, we were looking at our top drafted commons in the set. And both you and I had all five gates. I think you may be different now. I still have gates a lot at the top. I haven't looked super recently, but they are up there. All five gates are still my top five drafted commons. And I was like, wow, that must be the same for everyone. But it's not like, you know, Sasha was posting his list online. And I think, uh, oh, gosh, what's his name? Lars Dom, I think, posted his. And they had their gates nice and sprinkled. I'm like, well, maybe I'm overvaluing them or taking them too high. But I, I just think they're just such solid picks a lot of the time, especially with this deck looming in the background. Yeah. And I think the last way to get into it is starting your pack one with individually powerful cards from maybe different guilds that are easily splashable. Like maybe pack one, you take Experimental Frenzy and then you take, you know, like Dream Eater and then you take some other good card and you want to try to play all three of those cards in the same deck or whatever. You know, you, you start off like rare, rare, uncommon with your draft that are all like cards that don't necessarily go together. I think that's another reason to try to draft this deck. So we talked a little bit about the the handful of cards that pull you into the deck specifically. Are there any others worth mentioning for you? Yeah. So Glaive, obviously top of the list, uh, Splashable Bomb Rares uh, that really make me consider this deck highly. Vivid Revival can be good in versions of this deck, but probably doesn't make you want to draft it necessarily. Chamber Sentry, we talked about Uncommons. Uh, Gatekeeper Gargoyle is good, not necessarily a reason to draft the deck, but if it's like pick six or I'm wheeling Gatekeeper Gargoyles, that's a signal to me that like my pod probably doesn't know about this deck and it's open. And maybe if a Glaive of the Guild Pack gets opened, I'm likely to get it. And I think... 
that's one of the reasons this deck is so viable because I think people are just drastically undervaluing Glade. I totally agree with you there. And then District Guide is one of the best possible creatures you could have. Two and a green for the 2-2 lets you search up a gate. It's a body that wears Glaive of the Guild Pack, finds you a gate to power it up, helps you fix, helps you splash. That card does it all. And then Wheeling Guild Summit like really makes me start to consider this deck. Uh, I don't want to pick Guild Summit highly, but if I get it on the wheel, I'll think about it. Yeah, I often find, again, as, as we talked about a little bit before, that like Guild Summit doesn't feel, even though it feels like it should be a solid card in this deck, it doesn't feel that strong. And I think that's because this is such a creature-based deck, one, and because you've got some wheel-spinny things happening elsewhere that I don't think you can often afford this. Like, so much of what you're trying to do with this deck is not die, not die, and then win in the late game. That right. Guild Summit often feels like, I just can't afford to do this on turn three. Yeah, makes sense. So for all of our other archetypes we talked about, like Guild Underperformers, I like how you've outlined this here. These are some underperformers from other decks that feel like they shine pretty hard in this deck. What, what do you got here on this list? Yeah, I titled this list, Other People's Trash is Your Treasure. So I think top of the list, Centaur Peacemaker is great here. The one green-white for the 3-3 three, three that gains you four life. All you want to do is make it to the late game, and this wears Glaive of the Guild Pact which is going to be a common theme for the cards in this. <laughs> Garrison Sergeant, uh, the three red, white, three, three, gets double strike if you have a gate, is really good in this deck. It blocks super well and is an absolute menace when it's wearing glaive. I want to make a point about Garrison Sergeant here, and I think we're talking a lot about this being a green-based deck. I think there is a version of this deck as well that's sort of like a, I train wrecked my Is It or Boros draft, and now I'm Jeskai with like three Garrison Sergeants and a glaive. And I think that's oh, yeah. a very I've good played, deck. I've played Jeskai glaive. Yeah, and I think that's a real deck. I think so too. I think this is like the exit strategy for drafts that have not gone well, and it's very easy to 2-1 or 3-0 because Glaive's busted. Yep, sorry. Continue. Sumala Woodshaper, I think, goes here well in this deck. Two green-white for the 2-1. It's just a body that replaces itself, which is absolutely what you want. Generous Stray, same deal. Capture Sphere, I think, goes pretty late uh, and is fine. Splashable removal in this deck. Uh, and does exactly what you want. It kills a creature. And you're not worried about the spell synergy, like other other reasons that other decks aren't interested in it. Like Capture Sphere is a good removal spell on its face. Guild Summit, when they wheel, great in your deck. Gatekeeper Gargoyle can occasionally wheel for you. Circuitous Root is not ideal, but depending on how deep you go, if you go the full five colors, you can maybe think about playing Circuitous Root and finding two gates for yourself. Urban Utopia, again, can help fix your mana if you don't have the right gates, but I would not be looking to play Urban Utopia if I could help it, and you should definitely be wheeling those. Hired Poisoner and Pitiless Gorgon block super well, and then with Death Touch plus the Menace from Glaive is very, very, very strong. Orcran Assassin with Glaive is stupid, the 1-1 one, one Death Touch that lures. So if you suit that up with Glaive, you just wrath your opponent's side of the board. Rampaging Monument can be good if you've got a lot of gold cards. Get yourself a big trampler. Random Gates that wheel are the absolute best in this deck. And again, that keeps happening. Like You mm -hmm. just wheel like a 12th pick gate that's just outstanding in your deck. Um, and Crawl Forge, I think, if you're trying to stabilize against aggro, can absolutely be something uh, that you want in your deck. So there's a lot of moving pieces, as there always is in a multicolor good stuff deck in any format. What does the breakdown look like for you for this particular deck? Yeah, I think just like a general skeleton or sketch of the deck. I think one to two Glaive of the Guild Pact. I initially had one to three. Three might be too many, but it is one of your best cards. Uh, I would consider three, but you brought up the point that that's probably, you just don't have enough slots. I would definitely run two happily though. Yes. Um, I think a minimum of 14 to 15 creatures because Glaive 
for it to work, you have to have a steady stream of creatures. Uh, and then creatures that replace themselves, like Generous Stray, Burglar Rat, have a card's worth of value intrinsically, go up in value a lot, as well as lifelink creatures. So like Child of Night, Healer's Hawk, Sworn Companions gives you two lifelinking bodies. All those cards are very good in this deck if you've got Glaives. Just like anything that has a keyword on it, flying is good with glaive, first strike, trample, like all of those abilities are really strong tacked on to menace vigilance. Yeah, I remember I had, oh, what's the black one drop, the one one flyer that can like thought seize your opponent? Pilfering imp, yeah. Yeah, I played that turn one and then played some gates and then played glaive turn five and my opponent just conceded because it was like a five one yeah, <laughs> flying menace. Ridiculous. It's great. And then looking for gates i think you want a minimum of four gates with glaive i'd probably play it with three i think it's that good like even if you're getting plus one plus oh if you think about it like a splash card it probably pulls its weight and then a maximum of like nine maybe ten but all of my best versions have had six to eight gates on average i think i think you don't want more than half of your lands to come into play tapped yeah so like nine say yeah and then as far as removal, Deadweight is obviously the best, very premium, and is another reason to be based black. And then past that, you can splash any of the four to five mana removal reasonably easily in this deck if you don't get any in whatever your base colors are. So that's nice as well. And then non-land fixing, like non-gate type fixing, I think you're trying to keep that to a minimum other than District Guide, which is fantastic in the deck. But you really don't want to run Urban Utopia, Circuitous Route, or Lockets if you can help it. But a lot of my decks have had to run Urban Utopia, but I think it's a necessary evil rather than something you're looking to do. I agree. And I think that just comes down to the fact that like your deck has a lot of moving pieces and you only have so many slots to satisfy those moving pieces. So that's kind of generally what the deck looks like as far as tips, tricks, things like that. Uh, I generally try to wait to play my Gatekeeper Gargoyles until I have at least three gates so that it's a 6-6 flyer. And what that does is it lets it dodge all but the most premium of removal spells and crushing canopy, which I think is pretty big game. It's kind of a bummer if you play your 5-5 Gatekeeper Gargoyle and then it gets, you know, commanded the storm or whatever. Right. That's a little bit of a drag. Uh, and I think another key that's not immediately obvious is you really want to pick two to three base colors uh, so that you can play some number of the CCDD uncommons. And I think Sultai or Abzan will give you the best results. I think those contain the best CCD commons for the deck because like the Is It one and the Boros one aren't really something that you want to go out of your way for. Right. But Nightvale Predator and or Fine Broker and or the Selesnya one are all houses in the deck. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. I had a version of this deck the other day and I was like splashing or like I think all the way through deck building thought I was going to splash a Beacon Bolt. And then by the end, I was just like, I'm not going to have enough spells for this card. Like, what, what right. am I thinking? All those like guild specific things that you're like used to being a powerhouse in those guilds are probably not super well suited in this deck. Yeah. And then I think just curve for the deck, I think you want to keep it low because you're going to have a, a lot of tap lands and that makes you play off curve a lot. And so if you've got a bunch of clunky three, four, fives in your curve, and actually those are like four, fives and sixes, that can be pretty brack breaking. And then cheap removal, cheap blockers. Obviously, just all part of keeping your curve low. Very, very, very good. Yeah, for sure. Because I think if you're not behind, you're likely to win with this deck. Yes, I think if you just don't lose, you're going to win. And speaking of, mana sinks are very good in this deck. Like the guild mages in those black, white, green colors. And Ledev Champion, I think, even has a home here. I think this is where it belongs. Yeah, just because, again, you have a lot of things that are trying to get you to have mana, like a district guide or maybe even like an urban utopia, like things that are going to like perhaps give you a little bit of air sometimes that helps to to shore up that air and, and give you a place to put your mana. That was a very Zen comment I made. If you don't lose, you're going to win. I mean, it sounds very straightforward, but it's so applicable here. 
It really is. Really, really is. And then as far as sideboarding, speaking of not losing, if you're facing down aggro, I think generally you're going to win against control. And so I try to skew my main deck a little to be a little better against aggro. Um, you know, you're just trying to bring in every creature with lifelink you can cast reliably. Same stuff we've said before. Cosmotronic wave, mephitic vapors, pull some weight against the X1s. Loxton and Restore if your base white. That's the four white, white convoke. This three, four that gains you four life. That's great to bring in out of the board. Righteous Blow, the deal two damage to target attacking or blocking creature. Crawl Foragers can gain you some life. If you've got undergrowth shenanigans, Prey Upon, depending on how your creature's sizes match up with theirs, is something I'd consider bringing in to pick off a 2-2 or a 2-3 or whatever from your opponent. And then facing down control, I think you're generally favored, but hand disruption like never happened. Extra removal, counter magic to protect your Glaive of the Guild pack if they're like green or something that has access to artifact destruction. But that's another reason Glaive's so good. It's so hard to get rid of in this format. Yeah, it really is. Like Conclave Tribunal is the best and there are a couple other ways, but it's really hard to pick off. Yeah, and I think Crushing Canopy also does some work against Flyers out of control decks, but by and large, that's another strength of this deck is that you've got all these random cards floating around and you have access to colors. So whatever cards are in your sideboard, you're gonna probably be able to play if they're applicable in the matchup. And we've talked about sideboarding for every archetype, and I still feel like there's so much to discuss about sideboarding in this format. Yeah, because it's a giant rock, paper, scissors, and the gameplay matches are very interesting and the cards the way the cards match up matters a ton and even being on the play or draw matters a ton yeah i don't think about that anywhere near enough so we should probably talk about that (laughs) (laughs) but you should in theory be able to think about it right Uh, yeah i'm i'm sure i've got it out if i if i think it out in my head yeah probably uh well that was super helpful for me because i i like this deck a lot but i just feel like again like seeing it all on paper and figuring out like what makes this deck tick and what makes it different from the other five color control decks that we've seen in previous limited formats is super helpful yeah i think there's two things i think it's not necessarily like a tier one strategy or a strategy that you want to do like other ones you could say like i'm going to do this like you got an oasis ritualist i'm going to draft five colors or cons like you could go into a draft and say i'm going to draft five colors this isn't really that kind of a deck Mm -hmm. but it is very good when it comes together if you get the glaive yeah yeah, for sure. And it's so creature based, which I don't feel like is the case a lot of the time with I feel like a lot of times like five color good stuff decks are removal based with like a few bombs. And that's not what this deck is either. Right. Because the is it and Demir guilds sort of already have that spoken for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. All right. Well, that's going to do it. That's the end of our three part series. There will not be a fourth part. I feel like we've, we've talked about the archetypes. That's that's the outline of those six decks that we feel like exist in this format. And I think there's a lot of wiggle room in terms of like what's successful, what's maybe not so successful. And I think the architecture of these decks is going to fluctuate as the weeks progress. Yeah. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give that a listen. The Guilds of Ravnica Treasure Hunt is still underway. If you want to participate in that, if you need to see the treasure hunt list, you can always go to our Twitch chats and type exclamation mark treasure hunt. It's a list of 15 achievements. Take a screenshot when you unlock achievement, either on Magic Online or MTG Arena. You can shoot those over to us on Twitter or to our email address. You'll be entered into a giveaway if you unlock five of those. And for each one that is unlocked as a community, that will be an hour towards a 15-hour stream that Ben and I will do together. Boom. If you want to get in touch with us I am at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben, please tell me you'll be back on the Twitch streets at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. 
Probably one more week and then I should be back to normal. One more week. All right. Well, at least bug him on Twitter at Mr. Metronome. You can bug me too at Lord Tupperware and you can bug the podcast on Twitter at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks everybody. See you later. I have two Diamantus in front of me. I'm double fisting right now. Why do you need a, two? I have a 32-ounce big gulp from the gas station, and then I had a leftover can on my desk. Jesus Christ. The life you live.